You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Father, thank you for your word and for your church. Thank you that we are a people created by your word and sustained by your word. And this morning, as we open your word together, we ask for your mercy. Show us your ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, uh, Pastor Michael uh, introduced the topic of widows in chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. And as we get started this morning, I want to go ahead and just back up and remind you about the context, okay, well, what's going on here in this passage. Um, because we know God's heart for widows, God cares for the vulnerable, including widows, the church is called to care for widows. And that care requires some type of um, systemization, all right? There's some type of, of organization, some type of policy is needed to administer that care, and that's what Paul is talking about beginning here in verse 9. But the main goal of the passage is still stated as the command way back in verse 3. All right, chapter 5, verse 3, which Pastor Michael mentioned last week, says, honor widows who are truly widows. All right, that's the whole point of the passage. Honor widows who are truly widows. That's the big idea is honoring and caring for widows, for true widows, which leads to the important question, what is a true widow? And Paul, in verse 5, he actually answers that question. He says three things. He says that a true widow is a woman who, number one, has no family who could help her. Number two, a woman who has set her hope on God. And then number three, a woman who is vigilant in prayer. That's verse 5. And then here in verse 9, Paul is continuing that same train of thought, but he's giving us more, more details. Okay, so when he says here the word enrolled, he's talking about this system, this program that's intended to prioritize and protect the, the care of widows. And there are qualifications necessary for these widows to be in the program. All right, and the qualifications are what Gavin just read in verses 9 to 16, which is our passage today. All right, so there are two parts in this passage. Part one is a true widow exemplifies a certain character, verses 9 and 10. Part two is a true widow avoids certain sins. That's verses 11 to 15. And like that's just, that's basically the sermon. Okay, um, today for the sermon, we're talking about what it means to be considered a true widow. And everyone is now thinking, I just love how relevant the preaching is here, right? <laughs> you, you probably never expected to hear a how-to sermon on true widowhood, and you probably especially didn't expect to hear that on Mother's Day, right, which is a complete coincidence, okay? I want you to know, we, we organized this schedule months ago, and it just so happened that this passage on widowhood is on Mother's Day, and so we just have to deal with that and move on. And I think it actually is helpful, though, because um, there's a lot, a lot happening 
in this passage. I cut the sermon down a few times. There's so much that we could say. And here's, here's the main deal. In these qualifications for true widowhood, Paul is actually describing the kind of woman every woman should aspire to be. So these are not just character guidelines for true widows, but Paul is giving us a vision for what it means to be a godly woman. And that's the application that I want to make this morning on Mother's Day. True widowhood is actually godly womanhood. And so this is how part, part one goes. Part one is a godly woman exemplifies a certain character. And we see this in verses 9 and 10. Paul starts in verse 9 by giving three more qualifications to go with the qualifications he mentions in verse 5. To, to be a true widow enrolled into this care program, verse 9, you have to be at least 60 years old. You have to have been faithful to your husband, and you have to have a reputation for good works. And you'll notice in verse 10, there's, look at the punctuation there if you have um, the English Standard Version. If you, if, if you have an ESV, there's a little colon there. If you have an NIV, there's the word such as, which is getting at the same, the same idea. After Paul mentions reputation for good works, he follows it with five concrete examples of good works. Okay, so Paul is actually saying here, having a reputation for good works such as, and then everything he mentions after that in the original, it begins with the word if. All right, so Paul says, having a reputation for good works such as if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality, if she has washed the feet of saints, if she has cared for the afflicted, if she has devoted herself to every good work. So overall, there are eight qualifications for true widowhood in this passage, and I want us to look briefly at each one. All right, these are eight character traits, and I'm saying a godly woman should aspire to this kind of character. So the plan is to name the character trait, unpack it a little bit, and then I would like to encourage the ladies of our church toward each character trait, okay? So I'll talk about it, and then I'll end each one with a mother's and sister's and then I'll give the encouragement. When I say mothers, I'm trying to apply what Paul says at the beginning of chapter 5. Older women, considered to be your mother. So if you're here and you're older than me, well, like, you know, significantly older. I mean, not like, if you're like my mother's age, I'm gonna, you're your mother. And if you're here up here, you're my sister. So that's what I'm meaning when I say that. And uh, I'm going to do that. And I want you to know, as I was preparing for this sermon, um, I am so honored to be able to preach this. It's not an easy text. Like it's, if you've read, read through it before, you, it, what, does it, what does it mean, some of the stuff in there? But uh, I, am, I am so grateful for the godly women of our church. And so I am, I am honored to preach a sermon to the women of our church, which is basically what this is. 
Okay. So here we go. Character trait of a godly woman, number one, is to be old. Verse 9. Paul says a true widow is not less than 60 years old. And so for those of you who are less than 60 years old, I hope you're not offended by that. Okay. Because you don't get in if you're, you know. I hope you don't take that personally, what Paul says. The point I want to take away for a godly womanhood is the wonder of old age. That's the point. The age of 60 is not very old today, right? 60 is the new 40, right? And, and we don't think of 60 as old. So if you are over 60, you're okay. You're not, we don't think you as old, but um, we're glad you're here. And I'm just going to keep going off the... Uh, Back then it was old. Back then 60 was old and a lot of life could be lived over the span of 60 years. And we know that. And it, it means something. It, it means something to be old and to be faithful. And I think this is worth highlighting because we seldom think about growing old. A lot of us have dreams for our lives. How many of those dreams are to be old? This is a new dream for me. This is a new dream for me. I was, I told you this before, I think I was at a coffee shop a few months ago and there was this moment when I looked up from my work and I saw in front of me an, an elderly couple, um, uh, two el el uh, older couples who were greeting one another. They were meeting at this coffee shop and it looked like a reunion of sorts. They had not seen each other in a while and they were hugging and they were smiling and they, it was two older couples who just had joy. They were manifestly old and happy. And when I saw it, I, I just prayed as honestly as I knew how God, I just want to be old and happy like that. Like that's what I want. Like that, that is my main goal in life these days. I want to be an old man who is faithful and who has joy. And I want that to be your dream too. I want that to be your goal too. And it's not so easy because we live in a culture intoxicated with youth. The anti-aging market, which is like creams and pills and stuff like that to make you look and feel younger, the, the market is set to grow to $271 billion by 2024. As a society, people are afraid to get old, and getting old is seen as a bad thing. And yet, in the world of the Bible, getting old is a badge of honor. Getting old is a wonderful Thing And so here's the encouragement. Mothers and sisters dream of being old. Character trait 
Number two is to be faithful to your husband. This is verse nine again. The wife of one husband here corresponds to the qualification for an elder to be the husband of one wife. That's First Timothy 3, 2. The meaning here is that if you are married, you live in marital fidelity. So just like godly men are to be faithful to their wives, godly women are to be faithful to their husbands. And at the most basic level, This means that you have a good marriage. It means, again, if you are married, that you do what you can to build a good marriage. And that requires faithfulness that extends beyond physical relations, which is how we can tend to reduce this this point. For example, there's a way to maintain fidelity in one area and also be miserable or contentious, or nagging, or bitter, or cynical. The faithfulness that Paul is talking about here between a husband and a wife is more comprehensive than just the bedroom. He is talking about an all-around kind of faithfulness. And when godly women are married to godly men, it's a wonderful thing to see. And I'm I'm talking about Christ-like Ephesians 5, lay your life down kind of men. But when ungodly men are involved, this is one of the hardest things in life. And I know that for some of you, that is your story. I I know about this very personally. In my own extended family, in fact, I deal with this all the time. And so I I want you to know I am not amiss to the hurt that many women carry. We, We want godly men and godly women. We we must have both. And here in First Timothy chapter 5. Verse 9, mothers and sisters, if you are married, be faithful to your husbands. Okay, character trait number three, have a reputation for good works. And this is in verse 10. And I want to focus here on the word reputation for a minute because it's actually the word witness, which is an important word in the New Testament, right? The word could also be translated testimony or to be well known. And Paul says here that these true widows are to have a reputation for, they're to be well known for good works. This means that when the church thinks about these women, they think about the good that they do. And like we all want that, right? This is something that we all, we all want a good reputation like this. Nobody wants a bad reputation. And yet at the same time, does it, does it really matter what people think? There's a tension here in the Bible. You have Paul saying on one hand in 1 Corinthians 4 that only Jesus judges him and the approval of man is hogwash. And then you have Paul saying, elders should be well thought of by outsiders. And he says here that true widows are to have a reputation for good works. So which is it, Paul? Does it matter what others think or does it not? 
the answer is yes. Ultimately, what God thinks is what matters most. Amen, amen, amen. And at the same time, we live in a world of relationships and influence. And if we think about it, most of our influence is granted by relational trust, which means in a normal world, your good influence will not exceed your good reputation. In other words, you cannot be enduringly helpful unless that person believes you to be helpful. Does that make sense? You can't be enduringly helpful to someone unless that person believes you to be helpful. And so for the sake of loving others, for the sake of your personal ministry, your reputation, your witness, that's how my dad always talked about it growing up, your witness, your witness, what you do reflects on your witness. What you are known for matters. And so Paul says here, let it be good works, which he talks about in chapter 2, verse 10, as descriptive for all women who profess godliness. So in chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says that all women who profess godliness are known for their good works, such as, such as, character trait number four, to raise children. We see this in verse 10. The word uh, brought up here means to raise or care. And it's the same word that we see. It's used twice in the New Testament. It's the same word used in Ephesians 6, 4, when Paul says to fathers to bring children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is not only for women, it's for men too, but it includes women. And here it's a qualification for a true widow. God's, uh, Paul's vision for a godly woman, a true widow, includes raising children. And I think this applies beyond literal motherhood, like what Dan Nichols was talking about. Um, and we're gonna get there in a minute. But first, I want us to look at literal motherhood, okay? Because that's, that's what Paul has in view. And of the five good works that he mentions in verse 10, raising children is absolutely the most time-consuming. I, I, think that's why, I think that's why Paul mentions it first at the top of the list. Raising children can keep you from doing a lot of other really good things. And unless, mom, you understand how meaningful it is to raise children, that will lead to frustration. That, that will lead to you feeling like what you do is second rate. Like the real work, like the high impact work actually happens when you're not with your kids. That's just not the case. And so I, I want to underline this. I want to highlight this. I want to be, be really clear with this. Raising children, raising children is considered by God to be a good work. When we as Christians think about good works, there are all kinds of things that come to mind, right? We think about maybe acts of kindness and mercy, um, we think about maybe courageous evangelism. We think about risk-taking steps of faith for the kingdom. There's all kinds of things that come to mind when we think about good works. And Paul would say, whatever that image is in your mind, raising children should be part of that. And, and that means even the most mundane parts, like changing diapers and washing the crayon off the wall. 
or whatever it is on the wall. We've dealt with more than crayons at our house. Ask me later. It includes reaching under the van seats to get out those old stale cold french fries that were dropped the week before. Sometimes the month before. You never know how old those things are. It involves cooking mac and cheese. It involves sweeping up the mac and cheese from the floor. It involves changing more diapers. It involves enduring through tantrums and then helping out with math homework as you're enduring through a tantrum. And and, and then there are a hundred other things that can feel so insignificant. And Paul would say, it's a good work. It is a good work. So mom, take heart. In those moments, when you are with your children, laboring through these things that seem meaningless, you are doing a good work in the sight of God. And this also now applies more broadly to women. This is not just literal motherhood, but, but, but there's a character trait here that extends to disciple-making, what we can call spiritual motherhood, which is what Dan was talking about. And I see this spiritual motherhood in so many of the single women in our church. Most basically, spiritual motherhood means the giving of yourself to invest in others. And Paul would say, you're investing, you you, you giving your time and attention and energy to the soul of someone else, that is the mark of a godly woman. And so mothers, sisters, raise children, invest in others. Character trait number five, show hospitality. Hospitality in the New Testament is the idea of welcoming the outsider. It's a a qualification for true widowhood here, and it's also a qualification for elders in 1 Timothy 3.2. In ancient cultures, especially uh, in in Eastern cultures to this day, hospitality is is a big deal. The way, the way you welcome someone, the way you receive someone, the way you give attention to someone in your home reflects honor or shame on your house. And so it is a significant thing to have guests visit you, and that requires a different orientation, and a godly woman understands that. We, we've talked before about this idea of male headship and female hardship. And this is one of those cases where it makes sense. Hardship is the idea of filling a room with life. It's you bring life into the room. You infuse the space with a spirit of welcome, and that welcome includes hospitality. So mothers, sisters, show hospitality. Character trait number six, serve the church. And this is verse 10. Paul says, if she has washed the feet of saints. Uh, Washing feet means serving, okay? We see this in the Gospels in John 13, when Jesus, knowing his authority, knowing his position, he arose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, he, he took a towel, he tied it around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus washed feet. And then he says... In John 13, verse 15, I have given you an example. There are a few times Jesus says this so clearly. 
He's washing feet. And as he's washing feet, he says, I have given you an example so that just as you see me do to you, you do also to others. And he means not only washing feet, but he means that kind of service that requires that kind of humility. Jesus wants us, like him, to serve one another. And when Paul here says saints, he says saints, he's he's talking about the church, okay? If hospitality is about serving outsiders, this is about serving the church, serving the family of God. The church should serve one another and serving one another in the church is characteristic of a godly woman. So mothers, sisters, serve the church. Character trait number seven, care for the afflicted. The afflicted here is referring to anyone who's in a hard spot. The word here means like trouble, someone who is vulnerable, someone who is in need. These true widows are those who see these kinds of people, see them. They see them and then they care for them. It's characteristic of a godly woman and I think it's more natural to women in general. It's part of the nurturing dynamic in the feminine nature. You, mothers and sisters, are uniquely wired by God to care for hurting people, whatever the hurt might be. A godly woman in Paul's mind does that, cares for the hurting. True widows, godly women, draw near and nurture the afflicted. And so mothers and sisters care for those who are hurting, care for the afflicted. And here's the last one, number eight. Be devoted to every good work. And this is at the end of verse 10. It's the bookend for these qualifications. Paul has been describing here concrete examples of good works and what it means to have a reputation for good works. And he ends it with, and every good work, right? Which means, it's kind of like those job descriptions that the last, the last one on the thing is whatever else we say. Um, it's like but Paul's list, it means he's, he's being practical here, and yet he's also not being exhaustive. There are all kinds of other good works that these godly women do and should be devoted to that he doesn't mention here. And that means the word devoted is important. These are not things that that we just squeeze in when it's convenient, okay? That's not what devotion means. The devotion here means these are things that these women are striving to do. They want to do these. They're looking for opportunities to do these sorts of things. That is characteristic of a godly woman. And so mothers and sisters, be devoted to every good work. Be devoted to doing all kinds of good. All right, that's eight character traits of a godly woman. Those are eight character traits of the kind of woman that is worthy of every woman's aspiration. And then now part two. Part one is a certain character that godly women aspire to. Part two is about certain sins that godly women avoid. All right, look at verse 11. After Paul gives these qualifications for true widows, uh, he says, but refuse to enroll younger widows. And then he explains why. He gives the the rationale. 
why not add, Paul, why not add younger widows to this care program? And the first answer here seems a little odd. Paul says, for, this is why not to enroll younger widows, when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation having abandoned their former faith. And it can sound like Paul is against marriage here. But we know he's not because in verse 14, he encourages marriage. So what, what's, what's he talking about here? Well, here's the deal. Paul is talking about marriage after these widows have made some kind of pledge to widowhood. That's what the phrase abandoning their former faith is about. A, a better translation for the word faith is actually pledge. So being part of this aid program for widows involved these women making a pledge to remain widows. And the problem with the younger widows is that after a while of making this pledge, because of their passions, they end up forsaking the pledge and seeking marriage. And Paul is saying not to put younger widows in that kind of situation. All right, it's a very practical thing that Paul's doing here. He says in verse 13, this is when he begins to expand it a little bit more. This is a really neat, neat phrase in verse 13. It's in the ESV, it says, besides that. Another a literal translation is at the same time, okay? So at the same time of these younger widows forsaking their pledge to widowhood, they became susceptible to two certain sins. First is becoming idlers, and then second is gossip and busybodiness. So, so just like these sins would disqualify a woman from being a true widow, these are sins that every godly woman should avoid. See how that works? Godly women should, of course, avoid every sin, right? Godly women should avoid every sin, but Paul mentions these sins in particular, and I want us to look at them together here. Firstly, avoid the sin of idleness. Apparently, there were younger widows in the church of Ephesus who had a lot of free time. And they spent that time not doing anything productive, but instead they went about from house to house. Uh, another English translation for that phrase is um, gadding about. I think that's maybe the King James, gadding about, gadding. You guys know what gadding is? I don't know what gadding is. It's like, it's like, think about like gallivanting, okay? You're just kind of like, you're just kind of like hopping around from each house and doing that, being idle, having that kind of time, idling about, uh, uh, gadding around. That led then to a package sin of gossip and busybodiness, which I'm, I'm, I'm putting those together. So secondly, avoid the sin of gossip and busybodiness. And these two sins are linked together because they are both explained by the phrase, you can look at this there, saying what they should not. Okay, so gossip is to talk nonsense or foolishness. That's what it means literally. And then, and then the word busybody means to meddle in the affairs of others. Both have to do with conversation. Both have to do with what is being said. And so if we take this all together, here's the situation that was going on. There were women who were idle. Um, they had nothing productive to do. And they used their time to have meetings throughout the church community 
wherein they gossiped and meddled. And godly women should avoid these things. That's what Paul's saying. True widows would avoid these things. And Paul says that younger widows should disallow this temptation by, verse 15, getting married, bearing children, and managing their households. In other words, Paul simply means be productive. He means you can avoid, you can avoid this entire temptation to sin by giving yourself to good works. That's what he means. Give yourself to good works or be a godly woman like described in verses 9 and 10. And that, there you go. That's part one and part two. That's the passage here. Part one, these certain character traits that godly women aspire to. Part two are these certain sins that godly women avoid. And to close here, I want to mention there is a really important implication beneath all of this that I want to make crystal clear. There's an implication here. You need to put words to it. We can see the high standard of character Paul has for these widows. These are godly women. And we can see that there were other women in this church, younger widows, who were causing trouble. And well, what's implied behind both of these realities is that women have influence. Women have influence in the local church. That's why Paul wrote the chapter. If if women did not have influence, if women did not matter to the local church, Paul would not be addressing them. But they do matter. Because women do matter and do have an important influence in the church. The issue has to do with how they use the influence. That's the implication here. They have an influence. Women have an influence. Women, you have an influence. The issue is whether women will use their influence for good works or not. And that is the option put before every woman of every church throughout every moment of history. It stands here in the first century in Ephesus, and it stands here today in the 21st century in Minneapolis. Will they be women worthy of true widowhood, or will they not? Will they be godly women or not? That's the issue. And I think I've told you before about my Meemaw. You guys know my Mima? I've told you about her before. I think I've, she is my dad's mom, my, my grandmother on my dad's side, and she's actually a church planter. I don't think I've told you that part. Um, she has been at the same church almost her entire life. When she was a little girl in the early 1940s, there was a tent revival that, that, that came through the country out where she lived And that tent revival led to a revival, a movement in that rural country area. And that movement led to a local church. And my Mima would have been around six or seven at that time. And she was a charter member of Piney Grove Chapel Baptist Church 
in Anger, North Carolina. And she's been there for 75 years. And it's a good church. God has blessed the church, and the church is doing great. But as the story goes, back in the 1970s, the church fell on hard times. Okay, there were several men in the church who got caught up in the 70s and fell away. Uh, there were other men in the church who just, they just abandoned their responsibility to lead. And the church would have shut down. But my Mima, God bless that woman. My Mima and other godly women did not let that happen. And so they organized a Sunday school program and they taught all the classes. And they made sure they had a solid pastor behind the pulpit who preached the Bible. And they started uh, this thing, this vacation Bible school thing, which was new in their area. And they, they mobilized the church for outreach in what was called the, the Woman's Missionary Union. And they didn't do anything to subvert God's design, but they used their influence for good works. And looking back, it is impossible. We cannot do it this side of heaven. It is impossible to quantify the kind of impact those women have had. I've tried to think about it. My dad, growing up in that church, I grew up in that church. How many people's lives have been touched? How many people have heard the gospel through that local church because of those godly women, because of my Mima, and because she chose to use her example for good works? I want to honor my Mima today because she is the kind of godly woman that Paul describes in 1 Timothy 5. And she is the kind of woman like so many of the mothers and sisters in this room. And so I want you to know, we need you. We need your influence. We need your godliness. It would have been better for my Mima's church if the godly men had stuck around. It's better when there are godly men and godly women together. We need godly women. We need your influence. And not just our church that needs it, not, not, not just our church, but our cities need it and our neighborhoods need it and all the people you know need it. Paul's vision for a healthy church requires godly women because that is the church that Jesus died to make. The church is a community of men and women together transformed by the gospel. Men and women transformed together. Brothers and sisters together. Fathers and mothers together. And that's what we remember at the table. At this table. Of all the character traits mentioned in chapter 5, really good character traits, right? Right? You should know these are things, I should say these are not things that get you into the family. Only the blood of Jesus gets you into the family. Jesus saves us by his own 
mercy, and grace. We do not deserve it. We could never earn it. Jesus saves us by his grace and he saves us unto himself. Jesus saves us to become more like him as godly men, as godly women, Christ-like men, Christ-like women. And so most fundamentally, all of this, most fundamentally, 1 Timothy 5 It's Jesus' work, not ours. This is the work of Jesus, and at this table is where we say thank you. And so if you're here and you trust in Jesus, if he is your Lord, your Savior, and your treasure, we invite you to eat and to drink with us. We're going to serve the bread first. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.